Greetings, salutations, hello, hey, how's it going? Welcome to another episode from Radio Land from the Home Office in Memphis, Memphis Tennessee. Tennessee. This is episode 372. Here on a, uh, on a, on a Sunday, this is the date of production, the fourth day of April. You know, for those of Hello, my Not name sure is want, Rick Cheddar, and this is from Radio Land. Coming up on the program uh, this time out, a conversation with the great William Bell. Ooh, some of you may go, I know that name. Most of you are going, hell yeah. And if you don't know William Bell, you're about to. Um, he is, he's, he's honestly one of the, one of the nicest men, uh, one of the most amiable, uh, lovable f- uh, fellows you could ever, ever spend time with. The man sold millions of records worldwide through the Stax label and others. And uh, he's going to spend some time with us. He's going to talk about his career and how the uh, Memphis, um, well, actually, blues, or the, well, the, uh, the uh, Blues Music Awards, this Blues Foundation, blues.org, they are honoring him with a lifetime achievement. Yeah, buddy, that's, uh, that's coming up. So you're going to hear about that here in a little while and some, uh, a great conversation with him. I spent some time with him years ago. Uh, he came in, we didn't talk about this on the, on, on, on the interview, so I can, I can talk about it now, but years ago, uh, when the documentary take me to the river had come out and the director and producer and, you know, the, the muckety mucks with the, with the program came into town, uh, William was there cause he was involved in the production quite, quite heavily that you'll hear about. And, uh, Diane and I went down there to go, go uh, spend some time with them. They were hanging out at the, at the Peabody bar the Peabody Hotel, the lobby. And so we, we just crashed up in there, spent some time, had a couple of cocktails, had a great time. And then uh, we left, and William and Dee and I went down Beale Street like the uh, proverbial Wizard of Oz. <laughs> down the Yellow Brick Road we go and found ourselves at the Rum Boogie where Brandon Santini was playing, and we uh, we got us a table and, and, and sat through a set or so and had a couple of cocktails. It was big. It was big fun. It was fantastic. It was it was it was great. We uh, forged a good friendship that night, and uh, we get a chance to continue that in a way that you'll be able to hear here in a little while. It's our conversation with uh, Mr. William Bell here in just a bit. So there is that. Before that, though, uh, those of you who uh, who are uh, social media savvy, yeah, <laughs> whatever that means, are probably aware that Facebook has leaked. Mo- pro- probably your information has been leaked. Your user data. Yeah, well, okay then. Um, 500 million, over 500 million users data, their information posted, uh, has been, uh, put up on a, uh, hacking website. Uh, yeah, you got to kind of know what you're doing to get to the information, but you know, the info, it, but it's been done and he, and dude wasn't charging anything for it. So more than likely your personal information has been leaked. <laughs> I don't know if you're like me though, it's like, I don't give Facebook any real correct information. The one piece of information you do have to give them is a telephone number. They've got that. So now prepare for an onslaught of these stupid phone calls. So that's coming. Records for more than 32 million accounts in the United States, 11 million in the United Kingdom, 6 million in India. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, details in some cases include your full name, location, birthday, email addresses, phone numbers, relationship statuses. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so there's that. Um, it was first reported uh, to the news website Insider 
So, yeah, all told, 500 million people, 500 million of you people have half a billion of your data leaked over there. You know, it was only a matter of time before that happened. It, it really was. Uh, the alarming thing about this, aside from the fact that it happened, <laughs> is you don't even have to have a Facebook account to have that data stolen. You do realize that, don't you? Facebook, if you don't, if you've never had a Facebook account, Facebook knows who you are. Let's let that sit there for a second. If you have never had a Facebook account, Facebook knows who you are. They gather information from you, whether you are tied to them or not. So, yeah. They sit there and go, well, man, you know, they shouldn't be leaking this stuff. They shouldn't have this stuff. Why did they get it? You gave it to them. It's, I've, I've said this for years about social media. You've got to be really careful with social media. I use it. Yes, of course I do. Do I give them correct information? No, not really. I don't. I don't do that. I give them I give them some false information. I don't want them I want them to paint whatever incorrect picture they want of me. I you know, I, and I'll tell you why is it, it, and it's really more nefarious than it than it seems, but the idea here is that you've got uh, you've got you, you got these digital outlets that want to know you they want they they want to they want to sell you stuff the sort of the idea um what's worse is they want to sell what they know about you to other people and that's that's the kind of thing and that's that's where i come in is you know i give them i give them bogus information they don't know exactly who i am i don't really care i i really don't care because they don't really know me they think they do and my issue with this is that they're trying to show the world how this type of programmatic advertisement works. It doesn't. That's the bottom line. It doesn't. It never will. Those, those ad agencies that use this information on what they think is a clear picture of who they are and them marketing, marketing products and materials specifically to the people they think that Facebook has on their site, it's wrong. I can tell you who this it is. And I'll, and I'll sit there and go, you know, well, damn it. Well, in three years, it's going to come out. It's going to say, Gee, Rick, you were right. Well, I know that I was right because they're wrong. This this whole thing is wrong. Facebook thinks of me as a young African-American woman. That wasn't by design. That just happened to be that way. You know, they, 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 I gave them, I guess, I don't know what, the, what I gave them, you know, enough information to have the account, obviously, <laughs> But the what they adver what they advertise to me is wasted. It's completely wasted on a guy like me. And those of you who spend money to advertise on these platforms, you're pissing it away. You're not getting a clear action actor or action as to what it is and how it is that what it is it's about. So you know, buyer beware, I guess. Uh, cautioning of the user. And uh, and it's funny since the the breach happened today or last night. I I was uh, <laughs> I I noticed that not too many people got worked up about it. I don't know. It's like it's like, it's as if we're sort of expecting this to be a thing. You know, uh, Facebook holds so much quote unquote information. They surely don't really hold that much power. If, if you think about it, it's not really all that powerful. It isn't. I mean, I mean, come on. Anybody who spends any time on it, you know, perusing a news feed. You find that uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of crap there, a lot of crap. Um, I'm, I'm looking through it right now, and there's nothing. 
Nothing, nothing here. Some of you, uh, some of you people with the memes, <laughs> y'all, the, the self-affirmation stuff, y'all run out of stuff to say, so now you're just making it up, and it looks like you had a stroke while you were writing it. Uh-huh. Yeah, whatever. Uh, and drug ads. Yeah, because that's clearly what they think I need. <laughs> drug ads. So, yeah, not too many people were terribly shocked about the five. It's Technically, it's 533 million Facebook users' personal data that was leaked. Phone number, dates of birth, uh, email, that's about it. Everybody, every, all the guys just went, huh? What? Do you mean my messenger messages got leaked? Yeah, you cheating bastard. What do you... <laughs> <laughs> be sliding all up into someone's direct messages sliding up into the dms as ladies say they find out that that stuff gets leaked oh have mercy then you'll hear the hollering <laughs> and you'll hear the screaming mm-hmm. yes sir buddy <clears throat> i don't know uh you, you got you know you gotta, you gotta, you gotta look after yourself. I say it at the end of every show. You gotta take care of yourself. Take care of one another. And part of taking care of yourself is taking care of, of, of the stuff that you do. You know, look, the internet is not the way it used to be. It's, it's not. It, it has changed. It has changed dramatically, and it's now social media based almost entirely. Everything about about the internet, aside from news, is social media based. And having to deal with this makes things a little complicated doesn't it you know so you know don't be surprised if you start getting a lot more spam phone calls you know talking about your car warranty or you know they want to they want to they want to sell you something all of that you know that's coming because all of your phone numbers just got leaked right while you sit there and stew on that we're going to take a little break when we come back Oh, this is going to be so much fun. It's conversation with Mr. William Bell. Uh, LJ and I, uh, we're, we're, we did this uh, this uh, this uh, this conversation on the morning show, Radio Memphis in the morning. Uh, when was this? Last week sometime. And um, uh, Mark Caldwell was down there, and uh, he produced the show, and he made this happen. He's the one that made it, made it all come together, and, and so we could so we could ch- uh, chat with him. So, uh, so yeah, that uh, that was a really slick deal. Made it all happen. Uh, if you missed it, it's coming up here in just a moment. So uh, so stick around. It's our conversation with Mr. William Bell next, right here from Radioland. Would you like to be $600 richer in the next 10 minutes? Then make a free phone call and switch your car insurance to AIS. We get it. Car insurance is boring. We make it fast, fun, and easy. You make one call. We shop dozens of the best car insurance companies and offer you a way to save up to $600 on your car insurance. There are so many special deals and discounts. The best way to get them is to call. Based on your area, we have special discounts for military, teachers, engineers, and good students. Even discounts for low mileage and accident-free drivers. AIS has tons of ways to save you money on your car insurance. Make a free call right now to see what you qualify for. New customers who switch to AIS save an average of $600. 
Taken, uh, <coughs> excuse me, off of the record. This is where I live. His version, uh, or well, it's his tune, "Born Under a Bad Sign." But man, what a uh, what a great and it is a great it's tune. Um, I got to tell you uh, that uh, he is uh, being nominated for a BMA Music Award for his for his achievements in in the uh, soul music category, and rightly so. Uh, Sunday, June the sixth, uh, at uh, four p.m. Central Time. Uh, is when the awards will happen. You can go to blues.org and learn more. And right now, as we've got it going, Mr. William Bell joins us live right here on Radio Memphis. Hello, Mr. Bell. It's good to hear from you. Howdy, howdy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good to hear from you. Are you doing well? Did you get through last year and this early part of this year okay? (laughs) 
I made it through. I survived last year, and I'm sheltered at home this year. So yeah, uh, I was. I tell everybody. I said I'm. I'm uh, doing time in Soviet prison, but I'll <laughs> <laughs> we all we all have been. Have, you know, with the uh, with all this time that musicians have to themselves right now, they've they've been trying to do some some constructive stuff like writing new music or anything like that. Have you have you taken uh, pen to paper and uh, and and tried to construct anything new? Yeah, I have. As a matter of fact, I'm working on some projects now uh, that'll be out soon, and I just completed some stuff with the North Mississippi All-Stars. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping busy uh, creatively. Well, those guys from uh, you know the, the, those uh, Dickinson boys, I think they, they kind of got something going on. I think they, they, they may stick around in this business a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're awesome. Awesome musicians. <laughs> Uh, we had been talking about your appearance on uh, the the program today, and in reference to uh, the documentary "Take Me to the River," of which you are featured in, as well, working with those kids over there at uh, at the Stacks Music Academy, and with Snoop Dogg with the uh, with your your tune uh, "Forgot to Be Your Lover." What a tremendous documentary! First of all, and that song is just absolutely incredible. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was just a pleasure. Um working with the uh, different genres of music and, and uh, you know, passing the torch on to the youngsters and all that. And we both learned a, a good lesson that it's the same story, just, just generations right. and changing and telling it. <laughs> I would imagine for a guy with your with your career and your history, too, it uh, it, it, it kind of warms the, 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 the heart a little bit to know that this music and this style is going to continue on and it's in good hands. It, it is in very good hands. The kids uh, at the Stax Academy, and we work with the Berkeley uh, School of Music oh. and different uh, organizations. So it's just in very good hands, and the kids are just like sponges. They just soak everything up and and carrying on that torch. You know, you know, we, one of the things too that comes out, it comes to mind too, is uh, the influence of not just the music, but your performance and the way you work in the studio on, on not just the younger generations, but the ones that are established now. Uh, there, there are some, you know, some big time artists out there that that cite you and your music as uh, as an influence to their current career. Yeah, that, that's always good to hear that uh, another artist can take a, a different spin on what I'm doing and flip it and and make it uh, a, you know appealing to their generation and uh, they can actually uh, uh, relate to something that I've created 60 years ago. So it's great. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean when you got guys like Rod Stewart uh, sampling your stuff or you know or, or re-recording your music. Uh, that it is, Etta James, Linda Ronstadt, you got uh, samples that have been taken uh, by Kanye West, Ludacris, and, and more. That's, uh, that's well, first of all, the check's got to be kind of nice, but second of all... Well, yeah, yeah, there is that. <laughs> there is Absolute, that. Absolutely, uh, you know, but be, beyond that, it's just rewarding that uh, my stuff has been cut by even country. I mean, even, just about every genre of music, and so... I think it's a, the fact that, um, you know, people are people the world over, and uh, when you cut something that's real and, 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 and uh, that they can relate to, everybody can uh, get into it. And it just goes to show you how music truly is a universal language. It is. Very much so, I, yeah. I go to different countries and everything, and some countries where people... Um, 
speak very little English, but uh, at the same intervals in the songs and everything, they react the same right. way. So it's right. just a matter of uh, the singer or the musician that can uh, uh, express it in a way that everybody can can relate to it. Right. That that must be quite a thing to be on stage in a in a foreign country where they're not speaking that much English and they're singing they the song. Right, they're singing right. the songs with you. Uh, that has to be yeah. that has to be a just a, a mind blowing experience. It's a it's a wonderful feeling because that way, no matter where you go in the world, you don't feel like a total stranger. You know, <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> so it, but it's a great feeling, though. Yeah. Well, speaking of great feelings, uh, your album "This Is Where I Live" uh, 2016's record. You won the Grammy uh, for uh, for that record, and that m- alone must be uh, quite a uh, quite an experience too to have that that recognition from your peers right, and right. and everybody else in this business. Yeah, you know, and after it was double sweet because um, going back on stacks after 40, 50 years. And I was the first uh, male, single male act. They had Rufus and Carla, of course, and the Marquis. But I was the first single male act that they signed to the Stax label. And uh, got uh, the first uh, national hit with You Don't Miss Your Water with them Mm -hmm. back in the day. And then to go years later and re-sign with the label and and give them a Grammy, it was just... uh, Super rewarding. Uh, speaking of when you when you first got to Stax back in the day, how did that work? Was it was it a, a, an audition process, or did you just come in with a tune and they 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 wanted to hear what you could do with it? I mean, what was that like? Uh, how does that how does that work? Um, no, what what happened was um, they needed some backup singers behind Carla Thomas's G Wiz. Yes, and I had a vocal group at the time called the Del Rios that we were working over at the P.I. and Plantation Inn and over at the Flamingo Room in, in Memphis. And uh, Chip Moman, who was uh, was aware of us, when he found out they needed someone to uh, do the backup voices, he uh, told Jim about us. And so that's how I came to the attention of Stax. And later on, they wanted to sign us. So we put a couple of... Uh, 45s out as the Del Rio's, but nothing monumental happened except maybe for the college kids in, in Arkansas, Mississippi, and Tennessee. Right. And then uh, a couple of the guys were older in the group. They got drafted, and so Jim signed me as a single act, and of course, uh, You Don't Miss Your Water came. Was was Booker T and the MGs playing playing the, the, the instrumental parts for, <coughs> for, for all of no, them? No, um... At that time, it was Louis Steinberg on bass, uh, I think, okay. um, and Joe, uh, I've forgotten his, his last name, Joe Lewis, somebody on keyboards. Uh, Booker came in to play the organ on it. Oh. oh, wow. Yeah, and Booker and I were good friends. Our family went to uh, the, the same uh, church and everything, so I was aware of Booker. And everything, so we he, we told him about that. And so Booker came to play organ on it. Huh. Wow, man! So that really sort of predates Booker T and the MGs, really. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because Doug Don replaced Louis Steinberg, yeah. and Booker replaced uh, uh, the keyboard player that they were using, uh, Joe. And um, then uh, Al Jackson 
uh, came aboard, and well, Steve Cropper was there. Oh, both wow. In, in stacks as an engineer and everything, so... Yeah. But he was there, yes. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to me how when you when you talk to anybody that worked at Stacks during that time, how it wasn't necessarily a. Uh, I mean, it was it was a it was, there was a lot of freedom, of course, to record what you could do, but there was almost a, a, a kind of a punch clock type of vibe there. You, you you went in like it was an eight to five job. You're either writing or recording or. <laughs> Absolutely, and sometimes it was 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did what they called back in the day woodshed, and we would uh, we would had a groove going for a creative groove. We wouldn't go home. We'd crawl up in a corner somewhere and go to sleep. Or right. Loud, wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and go at it again. Go at it again, so yeah. It was a fun time, and thank goodness we were young and had the energy to do that. And thank goodness for Jim Stewart and Estelle Axton for letting some little neighborhood kids come in and <laughs> learn a trade and, and hone their craft and, and make a living at it. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was at a, a very pivotal time in American music, too. I mean, especially when you get up to the point of the late 60s, you know, at the time when Dr. King oh, was yeah. assassinated mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. how this city was just turned on upside down. But Stax kept going and used those uh, those historical events as part as a framework for some of the music you guys did, too, didn't you? And not only that, you got to remember that we were going against the grain of the norm. Because it was during the segregated years, right? And we were a mixed, mixed outfit from everybody from the clerical people to the, the whatever it's inside of stacks, and we didn't really see color. We just uh, yeah. thought about whatever you could bring to the table in in terms of creativity, you know, and that's what we looked at. So we were kind of like a family during that time. We caught flack outside of the studio, but. Um, Inside that uh, facility, there we were just like family. It's it's a very sweet thing uh, because it was such a loving community. I think you know everybody. Everybody was everybody's brother or sister. You know, right, right. You know, even though Absolutely. you had, even though you had to smuggle and, Cropper in the trunk of a car to get him through there. Right. Know, yeah. <laughs> right. And then you know, um, we were like a family. Even on the outside, we'd protect each other and drive each other home or something and and we did catch a lot of flack from the powers that be but we made a lot of difference i think during that particular time in the city of memphis and around the world because we caught the same flack when we started touring and everything right well and that's i think that's a testament to a the power of the music but the the power of the of, of all the people involved in that to show that inclusion and love was far more important than any of the political nonsense that was going on absolutely absolutely were you there when when stacks ultimately had to close their doors yes uh actually i left um um uh, about maybe six or eight months before they actually closed the doors. But the right, the handwriting was on the wall, and you could see it. So I had a meeting with Jim and Al Bell, and it was an amicable little split. Uh, I just told them, you know, because it, it, uh, Isaac and myself and David and people like that, we stayed on at Stacks even when... Uh, they were in trouble, and we was continued recording uh, when we didn't even couldn't receive our royalties. So we stayed on two or three years wow. uh, while they were going through that. And but after a while, you could see the handwriting on the wall, and we were in a spiral. And 
it's wasn't going to come out of it uh, not good. So, uh, and we had families and car notes and house notes. And right. All that oh, yeah. Time. So, but they, they were, you know, gracious enough to let us out of our agreements. And we were gracious enough to just don't worry about the, the uh, royalties thing. Just see if you can upright yourself, you know, because we as kids didn't ever think that would happen. When we came to Stacks, we just thought it was forever. Oh, well, sure. I mean, it, it was such an institution that was built oh, yeah. so massively. But I would imagine that at the time, as you saw the writing on the wall, that there had to have been, you as an artist, a successful artist for Stacks, probably had a little bit of fear about, okay, where am I going to go now? What am I going to do next? And where, where did you wind up going? Absolutely. Well, Booker moved to uh, L.A., and um, I went out and stayed with him a couple of weeks. We were writing and recorded a couple of things at Herb Alfred's studio out there. And I just didn't care that much for L.A. Uh, that much. It was not my kind of people. I'm a country boy, so I said, well, I went. Um, so I came home, and then I had management in Atlanta, and I had been coming to Atlanta doing concerts and everything. And the atmosphere of Atlanta with the greenery and the trees and everything was similar to Memphis, but I needed a change of venue because at that particular time, I just said, well, I'm going to move to Atlanta, and my management was encouraging me to come there. So I moved to Atlanta, and uh, I didn't go back into recording for about three years. I started acting at the Academy Theater and took some acting lessons and did some summer stock stuff and all of that. And uh, then, of course, uh, Mercury, uh, I started a, a label with my manager uh, called Peace Tree Records. And Mercury was distributing, so they wanted to do a project with me. And I fought against it for about two years as they were distributing the Peace Tree label. And after that, I finally... Charles Fash was on board and he had signed the Barcade and he wanted to work with me. So he came to Atlanta and I, just to keep, get him off my back more or less, <laughs> I caved in and said, okay, I'll do four sides with you. And of course, uh, Trying to Love 2 was one of those sides wow. and we got a million seller record on it. Oh, a couple man. of million seller. And uh, I was back in the music business. <laughs> just, just get the, the harder you try to get out, the more it just sucks you right back in. <laughs> hey, as they say, they pulled me back in. Yeah. It just pulled me back. <laughs> pulled in. me back in. <laughs> well, and then Stacks, Stacks just recently then came back to life, and and I guess they're hankered out of Los Angeles. Is that right? Their 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 record end of it. Yeah, yeah. And Concord Concord Records bought out the, the the Stacks imprint and the Masters. And uh, so they've been releasing stuff, uh, a lot of different stuff, and then with success. And they wanted to, that's why they wanted to record me again. They wanted to kind of uh, capitalize on that and boost the label. And they had picked up the uh, Take Me to the River soundtrack yes. that we did with Martin Shore. And uh, so they picked that up and with me and Snoop and released their first single on that. So they wanted just me to do a project with them. And that 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 must be kind of cool too to be like reassociated with this you know the label that got you started you know even though it's so different I mean it's so it's so L A now and I'm with you I'm not a huge fan of L A but but yeah, I yeah but right. I understand I mean that's you know there's a it's a there's an entertainment town there uh, yeah 
And, you know, I have to admit, uh, there were a lot of young people there. There were a couple of old executives there that I had known from Mercury and from just being in the business. You meet everybody at some point in time. But there were some young people there that had done their homework. They knew exactly what I was about and what the Stax music was about and all of that. And so... Uh, it was kind of a, just a joy to get back on stack. It was like going full circle. And uh, like I said, to be able to uh, bring home a Grammy for them. And, and they were happy. I was happy. And so we just had a good uh, relationship. Well, the Grammy is not the only thing that you've, uh, the only hardware you've got. Uh, the R&B Pioneer Award from Rhythm and Blues Foundation, the WC Handy Heritage Award from the Memphis Music Foundation, the BMI Songwriters Award. Uh, you're, of course, you're a member of the Georgia Music Hall of Fame and the Memphis Music Hall of Fame as well. And uh, you're featured quite prominently over in our, at, 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 at Stacks in the, the museum here, the American uh, Soul Music there. And, of course, you were yeah, given the... I, you know, I've been around forever. You know? <laughs> That's <laughs> but, a good uh, thing, man. And we're you know, thankful. It's, it's just great to be still uh, a part of the music industry and doing something that I truly love. And we just got the National Endowment of the Arts Award. So I'm a fellow now in the fellowship. Oh, there. wow. And uh, it's just, uh, it keeps going. And... Uh, I'm I'm motivated by all of this, and uh, I'm able even at my age now to do something that I truly love. Well, you know, you're work with the kids and all. Yeah, you're still a young man in my eyes, and uh, <laughs> and and now that's well, thank you. I, hey, I, I tell tell everybody all the time, like Rufus used to say, I can still scratch my own itch. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna that take one. I'm gonna take that me. one too. Yeah, I like it. That's 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 fantastic. <laughs> so when this whole pandemic business is over, are you, are, have you have you given any thought to getting back out on the road, or are you just happy doing it the way that you're doing? now um yes as a matter of fact speaking of what i'm doing now i'm revamping i've got a studio of my own in atlanta yeah and publishing and all that stuff and working with some of the new artists and soul music um and we're revamping the studio i've done a lot of uh stuff virtually now this past year in 2020 and then starting this year and um so we, I, I went to a sound stage here and recorded uh, most of my uh, hit records. Uh, we did about an hour, hour and 15 minutes of uh, with my band and live at a sound stage here and filmed it. And so we're getting that ready now uh, to uh, do some virtual stuff with that. And... Uh, I think um, the music business will be around for a while, but I think it'll be just a little bit different once we do come out of this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's there's always that speculation of how's yeah you know, how's the new norm, how's gonna, everything going to recover, and yeah. what's the new norm going to be? Yeah, you know. And I think the arts, even though it took it so hard on the chin, I think it'll come roaring back here pretty pretty quick. And I think oh we'll, yeah, we'll see a ton. People, <laughs> people are jumping at the bit to get out of they the house. They really are. Know, so. Uh, music will be alive and well here and as soon as we get a handle on this uh, thing. And thank goodness they've got the shots and everything now that, uh, you know, people are taking. So it's just a matter of time before we are able to get back out there full time with it. 
Right. Well, that's all it is. It's just a matter. It's everything. It's just a matter of time and trying to be mm -hmm. patient and you right. know ride right. this out with as much safety as you possibly can. And then mm -hmm. you know because you don't want to go out there and infect your audience. You know. No. Right. Or get Absolutely. infected. Jeez. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and that's just it. And it's good to hear that you're that you're still working and still writing too. And I think that's that's the one thing you get the, that introspective mode when you're locked down. And, right. You know, there's only just so much coffee you can stomach before you have to start letting this heart <laughs> out. You know. Absolutely. You know, I think writing is therapy for me, though. It, it really is. It you is know, kind I, of a catharsis, I, yeah. 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 If I've got a problem or if, if something is happening that's, whether it's positive, negative, or whatever, or I see something happening, that's how I write about life. And so it's just like therapy for me. And, and I sit down and write, and uh, it keeps my mind wide open to new music, new ideas, and new prospects and everything mm -hmm. and I just bought me a new MacBook Pro and I'm having to learn all of this stuff all <laughs> of at my age I'm, I'm studying the new computer now so it's a little bit different everything well that helps you that helps, it, keeps you young is what that does you know it does it really does. I, I remember hearing or reading about uh, Sedell Davis uh, uh, when he was performing. Of course, he was out of Forest City, Arkansas, I think. And he, uh, he, uh, as a as a kid, he he contracted polio and it messed up his hands. And he was uh, he was a violin player, so he became a guitar player. And uh, he said, you know, the thing about being an artist, if it's in you, it's got to come out. And right. I, and I think you're in it very indicative of that very phrase. Absolutely, and you know, it's like. Now, with everything, sending files to everybody, and I, I just finished that with uh, North Mississippi All-Star. We weren't in the studio, but they sent me the files of the track. I took the track and downloaded it <laughs> and, and then put my vocals and backup vocals and, and stuff on it, send the files back to them. And <laughs> so it, it's just a, a matter of being able to communicate without actually being in one room like the old days. Well, yeah, some of, some things are going to have to change, and that's unfortunately one of the things. That, but, you know, it has its magic, too, I guess. It does, but, you know, I, I, I think there's something kind of uh, magical about being in the same room with a bunch of musicians. Oh, as I, opposed I to I'm, I'm old school. I, I want live musicians, even if I do it virtually. I mean, we uh, Zoom or Skype. Or something in the I, I but I love the creative process of yeah, bouncing yeah. Uh, ideas around off and letting somebody else uh, enhance on something that you come up with, you know, and and that's what that's what the energy and 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 all of the creative juices that's when they're really flowing. Right, right. It's like that old adage about catching lightning in a bottle. Yeah, and it, yeah, you, you don't do that unless everybody's in the room together. Right, you know? right. Absolutely. You know, even when we record here, I, I try and steer a lot of our blues musicians away from using like a click track, for example. It's like let's, right? You know, let your let your own soul dictate how this goes, right? And, right. It, and it's right creatively. And they say they used to say no soul singer sang the same song at any interval the same way because you were creating as you were going along, and that's right. That comes from that. Uh, church atmosphere and yeah. then performing live in the Chitlin circuits and then in the uh, Carnegie Halls and places like that. You get that energy uh, from the, the audience. The audience gets that creative energy back to, to, to you from you 
and it's just a wonderful feeling, but you know when it happens. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no two ways around that. And especially, you know, the guys that are up on stage with you that are, you know, providing all the all the actual music, the musicality that comes in there, they feel that same thing, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we know when, when we've got a good, if we're laying a track or something, when it clicks, we all feel it at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk to artists sometimes, and I like to ask the question. This is a good one for you, too. Um, you know, how do you know when a track is done? Well, when you can literally, um, so you don't have that uh, live atmosphere. It's not that in-person stage thing that you can get the feedback from an audience with the applause and stuff. So what's coming across those speakers and you being the creator of it, if you can feel what you've done, because most of the time when you're in the moment, you don't really realize how it's coming across until you listen to the playback. Mm -hmm. But when everybody in the studio and the control room is jumping up and down and you feel the energy and, and, and the commitment of what you've done with the, the, the story you're telling, that's when you know you don't know it's going to sell, but you know you've got a good song. Yeah, and if it makes you, I guess if it brings joy to you and everybody involved in the record, then, you know, hey, it's done. Right, right. Yeah, and like <clears> I said, people are people where we have the same wishes, frustrations, desires. So if, if you, the creator, like what you've done to a, to a, a performance or song, then that's going to transcend to uh, transfer to the people. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. It's the million dollar secret. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight from William Bell. That's how you that's how you get a Grammy, my friend. That's how you sell a million records right there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you make it look so easy, William. <laughs> well, I've been doing it a long time, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. There's those lessons you learn out on the road and, and then you know the stuff that you pick up in the studio. Right. Yeah, you know what they say about uh, success? You have to practice, practice, and then practice some Again, more. Again, right, right. <laughs> That's correct. Yes. Uh, who who would be, like, uh, uh, was there any one person early in your career that really, uh, that, that was so instrumental to you, if you'll pardon the pun, that, that you know, really kind of pushed you and your limits and, and to show you yourself? Yeah, I, uh, when I, I started singing in church when I was about seven singing with the choir and then about when I was about eight or nine I doing solo in front of the, with the choir behind me but at that time they had all these gospel singers and Sam Cooke was my hero oh yeah <laughs> the Soulsters yeah. I listened to everything that they did and uh, he had a way of telling a story phrasing and ad-libbing and just all of the whole things that it encompasses but he was my hero, and then I was a weird kid, even at that age. I bought, my first record was a Nat Cole record, Unforgettable, the album. And, oh, my um, goodness. I would listen to that religiously. I'd be upstairs under the cover because my mom was trying to get me to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I would listen to that under the cover until she made me go to sleep because I loved uh, uh, Sinatra. I loved... Uh, the strings and everything and the arrangements with uh, Nessa Riddle and, and, and Monte Varney oh and all God, those yeah. I was listening because I was an only kid and I didn't travel in a bunch of entourage circles I had I think throughout high school and everything I had three three friends <laughs> so so um, 
I was an only child, but I was always music was my my uh, outlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 really cool. I know a lot of people that feel that way now. And and yeah. I've I've heard that time and time again how music is has been you know saving grace for people. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't imagine a life without music. I mean it it will transcend you to different places like. Early on, uh, when we teach the kids, I said, well, it started in the cotton fields and went to the juke joints and then from there right. the church and, and so forth and so on. But the same people that uh, picked the cotton, they went to the juke joints on Saturday night, then they went to church on Sunday. But that same music was the, the thing that got them through. Right. You know, it, they, right. they refreshed themselves by sitting around the campfires and everything with an old hollow box guitar or something and singing the blues. Right. So, uh, but that same music is what got them through. And music is is the the, the best, uh, I guess you say, common denominator that you can find to mm -hmm. relieve your tension and your stress and all of that. It's almost like music is a, a, a great equalizer. Yeah, you know, and not only for... For the human species, but for animals too. Oh yeah! Oh, yes. oh, without a doubt. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So it, it's a it's a great, great uh, <laughs> a doctor for for a lot of different. Oh ailments. yeah, yeah. That you know, and I just saw here too that the only time you weren't really performing any uh, any music was your time in the army when you got drafted. Yeah, I, I did. I, I spent uh, two years in the army, and um, that was. Uh, and I was actually, I didn't ask for any uh, special treatments and everything, but after after about a year and a half, um, the director of, I was in it in Hawaii, the director of the soldier course uh, uh, was released. So they, they made me, the I was already the assistant, so they made me director of the soldier course there in uh, Hawaii. And... Uh, so we entertained all the generals and Westmoreland and all those guys wow, when they would wow. come through Honolulu wow. and, and everything. And uh, so, I, you know, it was just uh, the last, I think, about the last five or six months, they, uh, uh, instead of uh, ground pounding and, and then, you know, going and traveling and rescuing soldiers <laughs> up behind the lines and stuff, they um, got me into uh, their music business again because they looked at my, you know, past history and said, oh, you were recording, so we need a soldier course guy. So, okay, so that's what I did for the last three or four months. Wow, that's 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 <clears throat> way cool. Well, the uh, the Blues Music Awards are going to be held Sunday, June sixth at four p.m. Central Time. Uh, you can go to blues.org for that. Is that a streaming event? Is that it's virtual? It's going to be a virtual yeah, event. It's, it's going to yeah. stream. Yeah. yeah. And you are uh, you are up for a uh, for a BMA? Uh, I guess just to, to celebrate your uh, all of your work. It, it seems right. Yes. Yes. And. Um, I think uh, the song that you guys played, Born Under a Bad Sign, the National Register just uh, added that to uh, the, some of the better songs of 
ever or something on the National oh, Register. Wow. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Uh, so that's happened in the last two or three days. So Wow, it's all that's coming together thing. for you. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that, and, and best of luck on uh, on June the sixth. And uh, I'm thinking you might. I'm thinking. The, I think he's a shoe in. I don't know about I you. I do too. <laughs> I, I feel like he's got it. Man. Well, you know, I I take the approach that even if I don't win, just to be in the mix at this late date, right. because most entertainers they have a, a a span of about ten years that they're popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness to my fans and you guys for keeping my music alive. Uh, I've lasted 60 years, so yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a great feeling. So uh, if I don't win, I'm in the mix. <laughs> right. What's the old right. saying? I'm just happy to be anywhere. Right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mr. Bell, when the, when things get better and uh, you get back into Memphis, please stop in and say hello yeah, to us. We need to have you in the studio. I will do that. And, and guys, thank you again for playing all the music and keeping it alive, not only for me, for all the rest of the acts and everything now, because a lot of uh, uh, the musicians and singers and everything uh, is like everybody else. During COVID, they're you know unable to work, so they're going through right. kind of a stressful time. So, but thanks for keeping it alive. Well, we thank you for your time, and uh, you you take care of yourself and stay safe because uh, I know you still got some things to say and some music to make, and uh, we're looking forward to anything new you got coming up soon. Well, thank you guys, and same thing to you. Be safe. All right, take thank care you. now. It's been thank a pleasure. You. Thank All you. Right. All right, then. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hi, this is Reverend Oma from the Broom Closet Metaphysical Shop. A lot of us are making time to deepen our spiritual paths. The Broom Closet has a wide selection of books on spiritual topics and a huge selection of tarot and oracle cards for connecting with spirit and our higher selves. You can choose from our vast selection of gemstones, crystals, and crystal jewelry to enhance your spiritual journey. Check out our mindful living gifts and home decor to complete your sacred space. Visit us in downtown Memphis or online at thebroomcloisetmemphis.com. Social distancing slows the spread of coronavirus. So if you have a fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your healthcare provider before going in. More info at coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Here's what's coming up on the next episode from Radio Land with Rick Cheddar. Once again, with everything in the the kind of the flux that it is, I'm, you know, I could sit here and tell you that I don't know what I'm going to do for the, for the next week. I, I really could. And I could sit here and speculate. It might it might be Yubu. It might be Yubu Kazungu, who's on the program tonight at uh, at, uh, at the Booze and Blues. So, you know, we may take some of that and put that in here. I don't know. I, I've got some other things happening in the schedule. There's never no, you never know what's going to come around way. If you're not gonna, how the hell am I gonna know? It, it, it'll be if I don't know, you don't know. But I can tell you this: if you'll if you'll just be a part bookmark this uh, this whole thing, you can join us next week for some more hilarity as we uh, as we continue to celebrate the individualities of individuals. Does that make any sense? No, but neither does a sneaking show. So you got that going for you. <laughs> Nevertheless, something will happen. That I can absolutely guarantee. For previous episodes, go to radio-memphis.com. To download episodes to your mobile device, search the show in iTunes, player.fm, stitcher.com, Pocket Cast, or tune in. And now, here's more with Rick Cheddar from Radioland. Ah, yeah, there you go. Now you heard what's coming up next time on the program uh, here on this uh, whatever today. Uh, it's Easter Sunday, actually, and I hope that your Easter was good, uh, be that as it may. I hope you all were out uh 
You know, I don't know. Uh, what, what's the Easter tradition? Is it ham or bunny? What do y'all eat? Is it bunny? Bunny? Is that what it is? <laughs> Some fricassee of rabbit. Uh, I get to go uh, Easter egg hunting with the little kiddos and uh, you're you're looking for eggs and sometimes there's stuff in them. Yeah, sometimes. Some I remember when I was a kid. Um. I forget how old I was, but I was uh, I was still I was I was in the whole Easter egg hunting thing, you know. And you know where 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 I came from, it was there was it was and it may be your your case too. I don't I don't have any kids, so I don't I don't know really about what to make about all this. But nevertheless, some eggs were the plastic ones that, that you broke in half and it would have like candy in it, right? And then there were the others that were the real eggs. They were the real hard boiled eggs that had the dyed shell on them. They were they were done in like tie dye or whatever. You know, what some funky dip thing that. Uh, uh, my mother would always do, and my sister, and I guess it was sort of a thing from what I remember that, uh, you know, hey, we're going to go dye the Easter eggs. And then and then they'd be they'd all be set up in a pile somewhere, and then somehow, miraculously, on Easter morning, they weren't around anymore. They were all scattered about somewhere. We had to go. We had to go hunt for them, you see. Egg hunting. So when I was, when I was this kid... I was pretty pretty impressed with Mahal. I thought I did pretty well, and uh, you know, because you know, if it's one thing that these major holidays teach you is greed, it starts it starts at Christmas. It's reinforced by the Tooth Fairy, and it's the Easter Easter Bunny he wants to make sure that you get as much much of these eggs that you can possibly get your your grubby little hands on. You see, and because of that, you want to keep them for yourselves, which is what I did. They, the eggs wound up in a basket. The basket went into the, f- the floor of my closet. There they sat. They sat there all spring. I've forgotten about them. Until there was this really funky smell that was coming out of my closet. <laughs> Dumbass me had hoarded and hid all of the hard-boiled eggs, you see. How they, fi- you know, how, how my family didn't, uh, didn't figure that. I don't know, maybe they were drunk, you know. I don't, I don't know. A little Easter tale there for you. Hope, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, so there, on that, I'm getting done. I'm getting out of here. i got places to go, things to do, and all that fun stuff. So please, in the meantime, please take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. And for God's sake, stop shooting each other, all right? I'm Rick Cheddar. And this has been from Radioland. Rick Cheddar from Radioland is produced by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated, Memphis, Tennessee. All music performed during this episode was used by permission. No part of this program can be rebroadcast or used in any other way except by written consent. For more, go to radio-memphis.com. 